This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN New York. Good Sunday evening, everybody. Join me at 1-800-919-3776. Low with JP. We're here until 9 o'clock tonight. Then it's Scott Seidenberg taking you all the way through till midnight here on 98.7 ESPN. 1-800-919-3776. Also via Twitter at Hardesty ESPN at ESPN NY 98 underscore 7 FM. Oh, we got a show for you tonight. SNY's Leger Doosable will join us at 8 o'clock. We'll pick his brain, see what he thought about uh, Zach Wilson last night, obviously. Plus, take us around the league. There were a number of excellent quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, who had uh, pretty good debuts yesterday. So we'll see what uh, Leger Doosable has to say, the former Jet. And uh, Bill Niner, <laughs> he had a nice career in the National Football League. Uh, moments ago, the Yankees found a way to beat the Chicago White Sox, 5-3. This was a tough situation, especially after Zach Britton says he doesn't want to close. We'll talk about that a little bit later because I find that a little interesting. That he goes to the manager and says, you know what, I, the way I'm pitching right now, I don't deserve to close. Listen, I get what you're saying. But that's a managerial decision. That's not your decision. But anyway, the Yankees find a way to win. And if he, meaning Britton, doesn't blow that game, in the cornfields of Iowa on Thursday, Yankees sweep this White Sox team, which, as we've said, is a very good team. And these games have gone down to the wire. Every game has been well played. It's been a really, really interesting series. And so the Yankees will come back home and they get great news. Garrett Cole is back. He will toe the rubber tomorrow at the stadium against the Angels. So, uh, you know, we'll see if the Yankees can continue to roll. But once again, they're doing what you need to do in your situation. And in their situation, they have to win series. Simple as that. They have to win series. If they can't sweep, the worst is they have to win series. And they've now won 11 of their last 12 series. So give them a round of applause. They've done a nice job. Here from the Yankee fans at 1-800-919-3776. As far as the Mets are concerned, we knew this was not going to be an easy stretch. We knew this Dodgers team is a very talented ball club. They are the defending world champions of Major League Baseball. And the Mets have played them toe-to-toe. I give the Mets a lot of credit. Tough losses back-to-back. Extra innings Friday night. Extra innings yesterday. And once again... Tyron Walker is getting better. That's the okay, that's the positive that you take from it. That Tyron Walker seemingly has found himself. He he had a no-hitter going in yesterday's game, gave up the solo home run. That's the scary thing. But once again, no offense. And while the Met pitching held the Dodgers in check, you, you gotta score. You gotta put points on the board. And they didn't, and they lose an extra 2-1. So now they tried to avoid being swept tonight at City Field. So we'll keep an eye on that for you. That will get started a little after 7 o'clock here. As far as last night is concerned, well, all eyes were on MetLife Stadium to see how Zach Wilson will perform. He did a nice job. I was impressed with a couple of things. He had a quick release, did not hold on to the football. I like how he was able to move around in the pocket to not be in a situation where, you know, he he could be sacked, so he moved around a little bit. I like that. He seemed to be really confident on third down. 
was able to make some plays. Now, here's some here's some things you need to understand. I thought the Jet offensive line played well early. They weren't going up against the total number one front for the Giants, but nevertheless, your block who's out there, okay? They did a nice job. They did a nice job keeping Zach Wilson clean. No dirty jersey for Zach Wilson. That's a good thing. Running game by committee looked pretty good. Receiving core was good. So all in all, I thought it was a nice job by Robert Talley. He's got to be pleased. Of course, there's going to be some things that you have to work on, obviously. But you saw there was one drive before the half where there were a couple of penalties on the secondary. And you could see where unless they constantly get pressure on the quarterback, this secondary is going to need to be able to make some plays. Okay, they're going to have to be as fundamentally sound as possible. So a couple of guys, you know, grabbing a little bit, doing some of the hand play that uh, is done in the National Football League, but you just it has to be coached where you, you can get away with it. All right, trapping somebody's arm where, on the side where the official can see is, is not going to get it done. But once again, I thought the guys played well. I really did. So that's a good thing. Uh, I did think that uh, Denzel Mims had a nice catch. So I thought he looked pretty good considering that he's had some injuries and illness and wasn't quite ready to go. Got held back a couple of days. So all in all, for the first game, it was really good. So I think you had to be you had to be encouraged by what you saw from Zach Wilson. He didn't look like he was it was too big for him to be there. He was comfortable. Once again, for me, what jumped out was the quick release. The fact that he didn't hold on to the football. One, two, three, it was gone. Now, as we go on, what's gonna happen when that first read is not there? How will he do? What how comfortable will he be at making the shift from the second read to the third read? All right, how how will he do that? How well will the offensive line continue to play to make sure that he can still do that? So these are all questions that we'll watch over the next couple of weeks, right? And as for the Giants, as far as the Giants were concerned, I thought early the offensive line was unsettled. Just were able to get some pressure. On Mike Glennon early, and once again, you know, Mike Glennon is a guy that's going to sit back there. He's not a guy that's going to run and be mobile, so you kind of know where he's going to be. Uh, so I thought that was, you know, you keep that in mind. And once again, that's taking nothing away from the pressure that the Jet front put on him. No, it takes nothing away from that. But understand that, you know, in that situation, you know he's going to be there. So he did a nice job. They had a fumble, recovered the forced the fumble, or recovered it as the Giants were going to score near the first half. So, you know, defense played well. I thought uh, for the Giants, once again, um, offensive line was a little iffy, but they seemed to settle in as the game got going. All right, so, you know, and once again, they didn't have all their starters in early. So, you know, one and, and, and besides, this is a Giant team that did not have their starting quarterback there. They had Mike Glennon in. So for the Giants, you wait till next week, you see how uh, Daniel Jones plays and – you have a pretty good idea. You know, you get Daniel Jones there. You get uh, Kenny Galladay in. You get some of your number one guys in there. And then you're better evaluating. Right now, what to, last night's game for the Giants was simply, we got some cuts that have to be made over the next couple of days. Here's a chance for you to jump off the screen so when we sit down and we have to make our determination, this is what it will help us decide what's going on. From how you've done throughout the camp, 
from how you've done throughout the OTAs, from what you've been able to do during training camp up to this point and the game last night, this will help us make the determination on some added some depth positions on this roster. And that's what last night was about. And next week, they will we'll see you start to put your top top guys in, and they will see and go forward what we need to do. 1-800-919-3776. Also be a Twitter, at Hardesty ESPN, at ESPNNY, 98 underscore 7 FM. Let's go to the phone. Richard's in Manhattan. Hey, Richard, you're batting leadoff. Larry, I love your music. One day you got to play for me. The Isley Brothers, who's that lady? Okay. We'll keep it in All mind. Right. 1973. Yep. I know it well. Oh, man. Hey, Larry, what a Met game last night. What a, oh. you know, people are, was a great game. You know, it was like a playoff game. These last two games are like playoffs. I don't look at the records. I don't worry about whether they're going to get in the playoffs or not. I just enjoy the games at the moment. Right now they're fighting and they're playing good baseball. They're just losing. That's all. But a great game. And, you know, I don't put Rojas down for arguing the balls and strikes. No, People would kill. No. The guy's emotional. He got mad and that was it. He was getting, Walker was getting squeezed. Mm-hmm. Hey, Larry, let me ask you something. Does this make yeah. sense? The Mets play before the All-Star game on Sunday, correct? Yes. They play Sunday. They're off Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They play on Friday. Tonight they play in New York, and tomorrow they play in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. They have four days off for the All-Star game and no days off to go to San Francisco. Does I that know. make sense to you? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Quirk they could have squeezed in one less day for the All-Star game and let them have one day off between going from New York to San Francisco. Makes no sense. Larry, the Yankees yeah. just won. Now, yep. let me tell you, this is their second game in a row. And I think it's the only two times all year that they won the game with the closer coming in in the middle of the inning. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a novel concept? The guy doesn't have it there, designated closer. So they took him out, and they bring in the guy that's going to clo- uh, that is coming in, and he gets the win. He gets the closing save. So that's twice in a row. Now today's game, I wouldn't have taken Luizaga out. Mm-hmm. Look, Luizaga pitched an eighth inning, no problem. This guy that came in in the ninth, I never heard of him. A new guy. Let's see. He gives up a walk. Now, when you're winning 5-1 to one and you give up a leadoff walk, I would have taken him out right there. <laughs> so, Boone lets him pitch to four, three more guys, two of them more get on base, and they give up two runs. I mean, it was ridiculous. Thank God Boone took this kid out and brought in uh, – uh, who did he bring in? He brought in the last guy. I forgot who the last – Peralta? No, not Peralta. Somebody else. He brought this other guy in, and I got the save. But thank God, you know, he, he went with his gut this time and not instead of leaving his designated closer in to suffer the loss. So they won two games in a row. I think it's their only two games in the year where the closer came in the middle of the inning. By the Larry, way, isn't that a novel concept? If a yeah. guy doesn't have it, you take him out and bring in another guy. That's all. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I, it's true what you're saying. You're true Larry, what you're saying. You know, these, these terminologies, closer. I mean, you got to be dead sure that the guy's going to finish the game. If you're not dead sure, forget about it. You go hit and miss, hit and miss, and you get a guy ready, one batter, two batters. If this guy doesn't get him out in the ninth inning or the seventh, then you get another guy. I'll bring a starter in for all I care. I'll bring a Tyana or Montgomery or somebody in. Please, you need every win you can get now. Every yeah. game to me is like the seventh game of the World Series, Larry. You're right, Richard. I love them both. Sorry, always a pleasure. Thank you. All right, you. thanks, Richard. Thanks for the phone call. Yeah, it was Wandy Peralta that ended up closing it. And since you re- – because here's the thing. They don't have a closer right now. 
Britton was supposed to be the closer. He asked out. Chapman's on IL. So right now you don't have a closer. And keep and remember, you have a three pitcher, a three batter minimum. So you can't just yeah the first sign of trouble pull him out. You can't do it anymore. He's got to face three batters each pitcher. When you bring him in out of the bullpen, they have to face a minimum of three batters. So you couldn't pull him out early, and you know that was a tough play, Judge. It's a really tough play. It's, it's, he tried to backhand it. Looked like he thought he had it. He got close to the wall. It just dropped on him, and they were able to score the run. And then, listen, Peralta doesn't get off the mound right away and allows another run to score, but fortunately he was able to get the next batter to hit into a game-ending double play. So that's how the Yankees were able to take this one and take the series from the White Sox by the score of 5-3. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. So, Zach Wilson played two series last night and did a nice job, I thought, not only completing six of nine for 63 yards, but he completed passes to five different receivers. And so the versatility was really good. He had seven first downs, the Jet offense did, under his leadership. So that's, a, that, that's what you want to see. No turnovers, which is always important. You know what I always tell you? You want to keep your job at quarterback? Don't turn the football over. And he didn't. And so you give him his props and you give him credit for that. Afterwards, wanted to hear from the coach. So let's start with Robert Sala. Robert Sala, who has been really confident, has expressed his confidence. And I think what they've done is they put him and you can look at look at the game last night, right? You can see that they put him in a position where it was a position to succeed. Okay, no, he didn't throw the ball 20, 30, 40 yards down the field. No, that wasn't it. He took what the defense gave him. And they still were able to march down the field. So Robert Sala evaluated Zach Wilson's effort last night. You know, you just want him to get his uh, feet wet and uh, show that the game's not too big for him, which he, he obviously showed. And uh, especially in those third down moments, he had uh, he had a couple of critical third down conversions there that I thought was that is the epitome of playing quarterback in this league is keeping staying on the field and scoring t- uh, scoring points in two minute situations. Yeah, and that's also important. I liked how he was able to just move the ball. A couple of big third down possessions too, as I mentioned earlier, that I really liked in watching him perform. Uh, Robert Salas said the team came together for Wilson. We have so much confidence in the in, in the young man. It's uh, you want him to stack up as many good days as possible, but there's there's still youth. There's th- he's still a rookie, and there's there's still a lot of things that he's going to learn from. There's still a lot of opportunities for him to grow. Uh, and there's even here uh, in this game, despite the fact that he looked comfortable and he did a nice job, there's still going to be things that he can learn off of. And uh, so there's, there's, it's never going to end. Uh, this young man's potential is through the roof, and it's, uh, but it's going to be a, it's going to be a process. It's going to be a process. He has to improve. You have to see the growth from him. All right. You like what you saw last night, but now the next game you want to see something else. You want to see him roll out and complete a pass on the run. 
You want to see him go down the field a little deeper, see if he can stretch the field a little bit to see how he works with his receivers in a different setting because they face the Packers next week in Green Bay, and they're going to have a couple of uh, cold sessions with them during the week as well, cold training sessions together. And so they'll really they'll get to know a little bit about each other during these cold session trainings. And so this is going to be a little different. It's going to be a little different test also for this Jet defense when you face the Green Bay Packers next week. Zach Wilson comments on his first game. I mean, it was a, it was a great experience. I, I really enjoyed, um, you know, having just that game-like setting, the introduction to like, kind of like the NFL and the whole game. And uh, it's great for everybody, no matter how much, how much football you played. It was awesome just to be able to get out there and do that. And on the experience of last night? Uh, I think that's one of the coolest parts about the pregame warm-ups is walking around and you kind of just get a look around and be like, you know what, this is awesome. Like, I got to play football for a living. And, um, you know, it's so cool because I'm just enjoying it with all these guys and, you know, we're having a great time. I believe it was a uh, – he made a couple of really good passes. I believe the one to uh, Corey Davis on third and nine and a gain of 16, that one really jumped out at me. Here's what he talked about on that pass to Davis. Yeah, it was a great call by Coach LaFleur, and, um, you know, we put Corey in a good situation there, and uh, we had an off corner. We put him on an out route to the field, and, and then he did his job winning. I just got to give him a good ball, and uh, we were able to execute. And getting comfortable in the pocket. He looked real comfortable. How did that feel for him? You know, you kind of got to have that as a quarterback. You got to be able to tell yourself, you know, in those situations, you could feel someone coming, but how can I stand there and just deliver? And it, it takes work, and, you know, it's something I still need to get a lot better at, but you know, you can feel it there and you kind of just got to, you know, teach yourself, you know, how can I, you know, just get the ball out on time and, and take those hits sometimes. Well, he didn't have to take a lot of hits, but he did stand in the pocket. All right. And he stood in there for as late as he, as long as he could, made strong throws. There were occasions when you saw him roll out, which you kind of knew because that's what he did at BYU a lot. This is his ability to throw on the run. Arm talent's really good. And... Once again, I think the thing that really jumped out at me was just his composure, how he was just so comfortable. And once again, we told you before the game, he's not going to see a lot of blitzing. It's going to be one-on-one, it's man-on-man coverage and straight-on blocking the guy in front of you. Just make a play and block the guy, and that's what you do. And so he didn't. He wasn't rushing. There was no blitzing there, you know, to, to the extent of what you'll see during the regular season. So he was able, while he, they didn't make him really feel uncomfortable, but he still made plays. And the offensive line still did a nice job protecting him. And you, you, once again, you had to like what you see from him last night. C.J. Mosley, and we'll talk about the defense in a second. Here's C.J. Mosley uh, talking about, you know what? We could be pretty good. I'll go back to one of my quotes when I first got here. You know, people sleeping on the Jets. And if people come with that same mentality, they're going to get their blown out. And that's 100%. No matter where we where we at MetLife or anywhere else, they think there's anything different, there's anything old about this this Jets team, it's, it's not going to end well for them. And that's the mindset that we're going to bring bring to work every day. So we just got to make sure that we hold each other accountable every day when we go to practice, make sure we try to stay healthy as possible, you know, have the same mindset, the same goal to win every game. The Jet defense played well. There's no question about that. And once again, they have to because the defense is what's going to help to decide the success of this football team this year. Clearly, offensively, it's going to be a work in progress. 
they'll have there'll be some ups, there'll be some downs, but this defense has got to be the constant. All right. And yeah, I know it's preseason and I know you have a whole lot of different folks in and out and trying to figure things out, but they only gave up seven points and they didn't give those seven points up until the fourth quarter. They did a nice job uh, on the ground, which is a concern. So they had, they allowed uh, 16 carries for 105 yards. All right. Some of those, a lot of those yards, some of those yards were late, but still you early in the games, they were dictating what the giant offense was able to do. And so they played well. Still, a couple of plays in that secondary. And just not to harp on the secondary, you understand that that's going to be an area where teams are going to pick on because you don't have the experience there that you have in some of the other positions defensively on this team. So because of that, you have to make adjustments. And a lot of work, a lot of effort on the front seven to make sure you pressure the quarterback. And they did early. They pressured Mike Glennon early. They forced the tip. They had a sack, had a pressure. So they've done, they had a nice showing with the first group out there. And the running back by committee is interesting. <laughs> a lot of good things. Just, just a lot of good things. Especially, though, the main thing that you were looking for, I think, was to play the offensive line. And early, they ran behind Makai Beckman. They ran behind the left side of that jet offensive line. And to be honest, that's what they're supposed to do. And when Tucker gets back and they have that tandem together, that's going to be something to watch. That's really, really going to be something to watch as they will continue to get better and better and better. Ha! What you see, what you see, is what you get, is what you get. 1-800-919-3776. Take your phone calls. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Let's head back to the phone. Ira is in Staten Island. He joins us next on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, Ira. Hey, what's happening, Larry? How are you? What's going on? Ira, how was it to sit in your favorite seat in your favorite stadium yesterday? Uh, well, we're a giant home game. I was near my section, but it was it felt really good, Larry. I mean, um, I feel like it, it was weird because I was at the green and white. But, you know, that, that's like a practice. But to walk in there and there were Giant fans and Jets fans. and You know you know what the best part about Larry? And while I am big with vaccinations and masks, it was nice to see people having a good time and smiling. Mm. And it's been two years. And that's yeah. a really good thing. Yeah, that's true. I have to tell you that. You're right. It's crazy. But it was great. It was just it was wonderful feeling. And, uh, you know, Buddha made a great call. You know, he got a lot of really good points. But and like you said, you know, even though it was a preseason game, I haven't seen anything like this like in the last ten years. And no disrespect to anybody, but like if they weren't wearing a Jet uniform, I wouldn't know that they were the New York Jets. Hmm. You know, that's that's how different this team is. And you know, credit Douglas for that. I, I do think you know there's a couple areas it still needs to fill. But it, the, my biggest takeaway from yesterday, besides Zach Wilson and. Listen, you know, he's going to have his ups and downs, but you yep. see that, you know, all the potentials there is that, and you notice what I'm going to say, is that Salah and his coaching staff did a tremendous job. You know it's hard to get 90 men. You have 90 men roster, so maybe that 85 mm-hmm. with a couple guys hurt. 
in and off the field, you know, substitution packages. There was no, uh, you know, no confusion on the sidelines. The play clock wasn't running down. No 15 men on the field. You know, it, it's so refreshing as a Jets fan to see that. And, you know, you take that and with the foundation that Joe Douglas is building, they'll fill in a couple of the holes and then the learning curve with Zach Wilson. By the time, whether it's a year or two, when this kid, you know, when the light comes on and he's ready to play, the Jets will finally have a good foundation and a good team. And now you can talk about serious New York Jets football. It is. It was so refreshing, Aaron. You're a thousand percent right to watch a game, and and this would be the time that it would happen. And you would say, even if it happened now, you'd say, well, listen, it's okay. It's, it's first game. These things happen. Now, if it was in the season, such. But how many times have you seen this team commit some penalty that that just ruins a great play? Either it's on a third down, right? It's third and it's third and thirteen, and they give up fourteen. Or it's third and 13, and they stop them at 10, but there's an offside, and it's a first down. They didn't have those self-inflicted wounds last night, and that's something that alone can give you a couple of wins. Uh, of course. And another thing, they're, they're so, you, know, you know I've been at practice the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. They're, they're so fundamentally coached well. And, you know, listen, I know the NFL is about turnovers, and everybody's, okay, you know, strip the ball, go for the ball. But Salah doesn't teach that in practice. What they teach, because you can't tackle it in today's CBA, so they have the tackling dummy, and he has the players wrap up with their arms around the tackling dummy, around the waist, around the legs. And if you notice last night, they tackled very well, except for maybe one or two plays. Mm-hmm. And even the defensive backs, they're taught to turn their head when the ball's coming so they, they could possibly get an interception instead of having the ball go over their head and they're not looking at the ball. Mm-hmm. So it's just... Basic, fundamental coaching football, and I think they're off to a really good start. I agree with you. I, I, I liked what I saw last night. Thanks for the phone call, my friend. I, I liked what I saw. And as he mentioned, how many times you like, have you said, <laughs> you screamed, turn around? And they played the man and not the ball. And you always want to, because Walt Clyde Frazier says it for the Knicks all the time. And it, it, you know, it works in the NFL, too. See the man, see the ball. He always says that on the on the court, right? See the man, see the ball. Well, you got to do that in football, too, especially in the secondary. See the man, see the ball. They just play the guy. They're like, okay, well, here's the guy. I know where the guy's going because, you know, maybe the ball. You'll know where the ball's coming. He knows what the play is. He could be, you know, throwing you off, faking you out. So the fundamental part you liked is that those are the things that has has really affected this team previously. And for one game at least, you didn't see that. Now, for for it to be really appreciated, you want to make this a thing, right? Because really, when you think about it, that's what the Giants did last year. Okay, the Giants, they became, that was one of the things that jumped out at you right away with them was they didn't beat themselves. So they went through the hard work at training camp. They did all that stuff. And during the season, of course, things happened, but it wasn't frequently. They didn't become known. That wasn't their identity. Oh, boy, that giant team, boy, they always beat themselves. They self-inflicted wounds, this and that. They didn't do that last year. And the Jets did that a lot and have done it a lot, even with Rex, even when they went to, even when they had success. A lot of those turnovers. You remember last year, first play of the game, they came out and had a, delay of game like you just thought how could you not know what you're running (laughs) 
How could you not know? Bruce is in Flushing. Hey, Bruce, you're next on 9870 ESPN. Larry, it's one thing when you have to battle injuries. It's another thing to battle COVID. Yeah. But when you have to battle your own manager every game, it's tough to take. <laughs> what did he do Explain now, Bruce? <laughs> what? What did he do? What did Boone do now, Bruce? <laughs> well, did you see the game at all? I saw a little bit of it. So, um, 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 Roy hits the home run. Right. They have a, a 5-1 lead. Right. Um, Weisiger has only pitched 15 pitches the previous inning. Mm-hmm. It's um, bomber and ninth. Yep. You know, he's pitched on Saturday, and he pitched today. Mm-hmm. So, you know he's not going to pitch tomorrow because they don't pitch him on three days in a row. Nope. So... The, the the great case he's staying a manager that we have now um, said, nah, we don't need him. We we got Lewis Lipke. You know, Michael K was trying to cover for him and saying, well, you know, we want to save him because you have important series coming up. You have the Angels tomorrow. Well, he's not going to pitch in game tomorrow. And you don't, you know, Joe Troy always said you don't, you have to, win the game today and worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. 15 pitches is not a lot of pitches to ask him to go to the next inning. Mm-hmm. At least batter to batter. No, we're bringing in Lewis Litke. You know, now Lewis Litke is a nice enough guy, but he's not Sparky Law. Especially recently, he's he's been inconsistent. Mm-hmm. That made absolutely no sense. Your comments, please. Well, I'll say this, at least Boone is consistent. <laughs> he's consistent, Bruce. He's done this before, and I know he's searching. And he doesn't have a, a, a he doesn't have a closer right now. And so I get the logic. And for me, I would get it. Let's have Lewisiger come back out. It wasn't easy, but he was 15, 10 for strikes. So clearly he was on his game. Let's bring him back out. If we need to go to Litke or we need to go to Peralta, let's do it. But he looks to be in the group. Let's send him out for the next day. We could give either we could bring in either Litke or Peralta tomorrow, okay? Because we're not sure what Garrett Cole is going to give us. So that's all the more reason why you try to let Loisaga go the extra inning. This way, you have reinforcements for tomorrow. And then, oh by the way, you got a doubleheader on Tuesday. So you really need to save your pitches rather than use them. So I'm with you, Bruce, on this one. I don't understand why, with the limited amount of pitches that Lawazica threw, that you would have to pull him out of the game. Don't get it. Yeah, you know, for people who have heart issues, it's hard to be anything. <laughs> wait, wait, Especially this years. series. Especially this series, boy. This was a tough one. This was a tough one. You know, but you have to admire the grit. And you know what? Aaron Judge is proving down the stretch this year that you have to really have second thoughts. People call, oh, we need to trade Aaron Judge if, 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 because he's he's too old. The contract could be too old. He he's, he he gets through easily. Bottom line, he's been playing most of the games. He probably has played in ninety percent of the games. He's got thirty home runs. He's at um, two eighty seven at the moment. If he stays healthy, he's going to have between 
is that 30 home runs, probably about 30 or 40 home runs, probably closer to 40. This is why you have to consider signing him long term. Now, what I would do if I was the Yankees, you re-sign Rizzo, you get rid of Sanchez, you don't sign Sanchez, um, and, and you and you look to cut, you know, maybe get rid of, of, of Zach Britton. Um, but if if you put Rizzo in this lineup with Aaron Judge and Joey Gallo for next year, and you see the vast difference between a professional first baseman like Rizzo and um, a guy like Voight who tries hard, mm-hmm. but let's face it, he, he's not, he's Dick Stewart at first base. Not a good first baseman. He's not. I, I get what you're saying, Bruce. Thanks for the phone call. And And, and that's going to be an interesting situation. What will the Yankees do for Rizzo? I mean, I know in theory he's a rental. But for me, what he's done for this lineup and how he improves you at first base, especially with Gleyber Torres, who has had some issues at short, I mean, he may have saved some of the errors that Torres has made this year if he had been there all year. And Voight is real. You know what Voight's doing? He's making himself very tradable if you decide to do that by the way he's hitting on this road trip. Give him some credit. He's bounced back. He's, he's, he's producing. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. 1-800-919-3776. Also be a Twitter at Hardesty ESPN at ESPN NY 98 underscore 7 FM. Hour number two of the show. We're here until 9. Then there's Scott Seidenberg at 9 p.m. tonight. Also at 8 o'clock, we'll be joined by Leger Doosable from SNY. He'll uh, take us around the National Football League and give, give us his thoughts on how some of the young quarterbacks did in their first preseason game. So we'll uh, look forward to that. Come and get his uh, professional critique as a former defensive lineman uh, in this sport to see just how well these young guys produced and what he thought about them. In a couple of minutes, the Mets will be underway against the Los Angeles Dodgers in another tough task for them. Max Scherzer is on the mound tonight for the Dodgers, and uh, Carlos Carrasco will told the rubber for the Mets. Now, I will give the Mets a lot of credit in the sense that they have gone toe-to-toe with this Dodgers team in this series. They have played well defensively. They've done some nice things. The pitching has been pretty good. Okay, pretty good. But once again, where is the offense? It's an age-old question that we've been asking about this team for really the season, but especially recently. And yes, I get it. I know they have injuries. All right, I know that Lindor is out. I know that uh, Javi Baez is out. I know that DeGrom is out. I know, I know, I know. I know there are a lot of folks who are missing in this lineup. And Drew Smith has been at it, which is another arm out of the bullpen who's missing out of the lineup. So 
the fact that they are still above 500 is surprising, to be honest, with all the injuries they've suffered. But what has become frustrating with this team is that because they play hard, because they've been the team that has shown you that they continue fighting even when they have adversity, because they are a team that just has not been able consistently to give you the offense that you expected from this team all year, but especially recently, is is so frustrating. And this series has proved that. They have had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to take advantage of Dodger mistakes. The Dodgers have played well, but they have left some openings for the Mets that they have failed to take advantage of. And therefore, they have lost the first two games of this series in extra innings. You love the fact that they fought back in game one. They were down 4 nothing. They fight back, tie the game, only to lose it 6-4 in extra innings. Home run ball. Well, Jerry's for me. Yesterday, Tyron Walker pitches great, similar to what he's pitched like in the first half of the season. Has a no-hitter in the contest. Gives up a solo home. And the, and the Mets have the lead, which was surprising. <laughs> They're leading one nothing. All right? He gives up the run. It's 1-1. They go into extra innings, and they lose it 2-1. So they they haven't given up, and they haven't, you know, just just thrown in the towel. But you are so frustrated because you see these opportunities to score runs, and you know that if you don't do it then, very likely this is going to cost you the game. And, you know, uh, Bueller is an outstanding pitcher, Cy Young candidate. And the fact that you even got a run off him was – Impressive. And so now we try it again. And as I mentioned, you've got Max Scherzer, the young man who came over from Washington, along with Trey Turner. And you you don't expect, unless, of course, there's always a possibility, but you don't expect that you will have a plethora of runs scored tonight because of how Scherzer is as a pitcher. So what you expect is that this is going to be another possibly low-scoring game. Now, I hope I'm wrong. I hope he has one of those nights where he just doesn't have it and the Mets can pound their way and get a win here before that long West Coast trip to face Frisco tomorrow night in Frisco. And it just took me back to a point that Bruce and Richard made earlier when they called in and look at what the Dodgers did game one of this series and they had their closer come in and pitch two innings I mean Jansen hadn't pitched two innings in two or three years but they felt listen we got to have this game and that goes back to what we were talking about with the Yankees and just not you know saying let's 
take Luizaga out. And once again, you know, that's it's sabermetrics, it's this, it's that. There's a whole bunch of different reasons why they do it. But I can understand you sitting at home and you're saying, well, you know what? Here's here's the situation. He why are you tempting? He wasn't he didn't have a bunch of issues. Why are you doing that? But, you know, everybody has their reasons. So tonight, as far as the Mets are concerned, you know, here's a situation where you hope that they can find a way, find a way to at least get a game in this series. You don't want to be swept. You don't want to be swept. Especially playing as hard as you've played. I mean, if this was a scenario where, you know, you haven't been in these games and the Dodgers were just blowing you out, that's one thing. But the fact that you've been in every one of these games, Come on, you, you. We really need. They need a win tonight. They really do. I don't know who's. I don't. I don't know who's going to be that person that you ride this. Uh, that you ride this. Ride the offense with. I mean, to be fair, I think that. You know, a bunch of the folks have have. Tried to do some things, but they just haven't. They just haven't come through in key situations. Conforto is starting to hit. I mean, he's hitting over the past couple of weeks. You've seen him get better. He's now up to 216. I mean, he was in the 130s at one point. So you can see that he's gotten he's heated up a little bit. Peter Alonso has been the guy that, that's, you know, shown some power, especially in the in the series against Washington. He's a guy that, that has done some nice things. J.D. Davis. Is a good hitter. You always take a chance with him in the field, depending on where you've got him lined up defensively. But, you know, listen, at this point, you, you need the offense. You're going to roll the dice. McCann has really killed them, though, offensively. He is a very good defensive player. There's no question about it. Very good defensive player. But offensively, he has come up really in recently in spots where he is just he's just really, really hurt them. It's really hurt them. Hardesty on the Sunday on 98.7 ESPN. This is shaping up to be interesting in the first inning of the Dodgers and Mets. Brandon Nimmo led off with an opposite field single and was bunted over to first. Short hop, bunted over to first. And now the next play is, I'm not sure what was going on here. The ball is dribbled out in front of the plate. Nimmo goes to third, and the throw went to third to try to get him, not take the sure out at first. All right? But the catcher went out and threw to third, thinking he had a shot. And even Turner at third is telling them, go to first. Because you could see that the Nimmo had a, was trying to move over. So now the Mets have runners at first and third with one out. Still trailing three nothing. And see, this is what I'm these are the situations I'm talking about. And then we'll see how this plays out. But this is the situation I'm talking about. Whereas can the Mets now with this opportunity at least get on the board? Okay, that's what you need to do here. You need to at least get a run. Alonzo dribbled the ball right in front of the plate. 
you go the first. That's what you do. You got two outs and the runner on third, and that's it. You give now the Mets have an extra out. And the thing is, is that Turner is telling him because you could see that Nemo had Nemo was got a great job. He might have been almost it. He was so close to third, it would make you think that it was like a hit and run play. Because <laughs> he just took off for third base. He just took off. And um, but anyway, listen. I'm good. <laughs> I'll take the run at first and third with one out. Let's see what the Mets can do with it. Need to get a run here. Need to get a run here. Because there's there's a thing you notice sometimes, and it's 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 interesting. When you have really elite pitchers, and there's always exceptions, and there's always exceptions on when it happens. But for some reason, there are times that they they don't come out really good. You could get to really sometimes you're great pitchers, you could get to them early. Because once they settle in and they get into a groove and they start putting putting people away, it's hard to it's hard to get to them then. But you know, they're feeling their way through first time in the set coming out of the set position and all those things, you know, still working on mechanics and arm angle and stuff like that. And um Dom Smith has an infield pop fly, two out. Um, you know, sometimes you have, that's when you can get to them. That's when you can. So we'll see if the, the Mets can do that now with two out and runners on first and third in the first against Max Scherzer. The rest of the baseball scoreboard, as far as the Mets, well, let's stick with what the Mets are doing. Happy, uh, Phillies lost to Cincinnati today by the score of 7-4, but Atlanta keeps winning. Atlanta won today over Washington 6-5. to five. So as of right now, Atlanta, pending this game, has a two-game lead over the Mets, who are in third, one-game lead over the Phillies, who are in second place in the National League East. And this Atlanta team, and we talked about it, and how many times have I said to you that that was the team, even, even when they were struggling, I had a feeling that Atlanta was going to come back and be Atlanta. And we talk about the injuries they've had this year. But they have found a way through some moves at the deadline, return from injury like Travis Darno. They have found a way to get back into this race. This was a team that was had didn't couldn't see 500. They are now six games over, having won eight of their last ten games. And now all of a sudden, this Atlanta team is playing the way that you expected the Atlanta teams to play. That's what they're doing. And they're and the Phillies, while have been hot and have played well, they've they've done a nice job too. Don't don't, you know. Don't look past them. Don't look down on them. But still, when you think about this division, you really, you really get the feeling, right, that if the Mets are going to lose to somebody, it's going to be Atlanta. I think Philly's going to trail out of this. I do. I think they're going to trail out of this. 
I think they're going to fall out of the race. I think this is going to be a two-team race for the rest of the of the season. It's going to be Mets and Atlanta. And I do think the Mets will bounce back. I, if they can get through this stretch at close to 500, close to 500, even a game or two under 500, I think they'll be okay. But they really need to get, and that's going to, and I was about to say they really need to get to ground back, but see, here's the thing there. If they have a really bad stretch here, I don't know that you would rush to get the ground back. I don't know that you want to try to bring him back. What, we could try to bring him back to see what he has so you can make a decision about next year? You're not going to trade him. You're not going to do anything. You're not going to, I mean, what are you going to do? Scherzer finds a way to get out of it. So McNeil pops up to left. And it is uh, 3-0 Dodgers as we move to the top of the second at City Field. So that that's the deal there. I mean, at this point, if if this is a if by sept if by September first, or if by the next time, whenever this MRI, the next MRI is being done, if you're looking at this team and you're saying, you know what, they've just like I don't know. I'm really not trying to bring him back. Yeah, I've said it. I want him ready for next year. And it really, it really hurts. And Chris Canty made this point yesterday, and he is so right. You see what DeGrom went through this year, and you and you think about it and you say, you know what? Here's a guy, here's a pitcher who's been dominant, not just this year, but the past three, four years. And because the Mets didn't do a good enough job of putting better players around him, you've actually wasted those seasons. Here was a guy who was who had a chance last year to win three consecutive Cy Young Awards. Three in a row. Okay? And you could argue that this year he was better than the other two years that he won the Cy Young. And so now you look back and you're like, we've wasted those years. We've wasted those years. When he was giving you great starts, took the ball every fifth day, was the best pitcher in baseball. And you had the opportunity to put premier players around him and didn't. And now you're in a situation where he, if what Busteroni has said, that people think that just Tommy John lasts seven to ten years, and because because there's something going on with this. This is they haven't figured it out, but clearly something's going on with this forearm. And as I told you before, for him to agree to go on the IL when he didn't agree to go on the IL on other occasions and came back and pitched after just maybe missing a start for him to do that, that shows you how, how serious this was. And what's crazy is they still don't know what's, what's up with it because they still don't know what's causing it. At least if they do, they haven't told us. 
I'll say that much. They may know, but they haven't said. And you look at that and you're just saying, where this team could have been with him being as dominant as he has been over the years and how the same situations, they wouldn't, they couldn't score runs when he pitched. They even scored runs when other people pitched, but not when Jacob DeGrom pitched. How many occasions have we sat here and talked about on this, on these airwaves, how he had to drive in his own runs to help win games. It was like a joke. Bat him eighth. Bat him seventh when he pitches. <laughs> Give him that opportunity where he could drive in some runs. That's what has happened to this Met offense. And now you look at an opportunity when they made some moves to try to bolster this team to make a playoff run. And Ace has not been able to give you consistent outings because of injury. Makes you shake your head. Hardest deal on the Sunday. Back with you on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, did you know the Beach Bash is back? It takes place Friday, August 20th. That's this Friday when Bar A in Lake Como, New Jersey becomes Bar K. Make your plans to head down to the Jersey Shore near Belmar to join the Michael K. Show live from 2 to 6.30 p.m. with special musical guest, the Pat Roddy Band, and appearance by Willie Wilson. It's all brought to you by Truly Hard Seltzer, Samuel Payne Management, the Good Life Transportation Company, Daz Breakers Sports Cards. Also, Deep Eddie Vodka, Rutgers Football, Calandria's Bakery, and Yuling Flight. You must be at least 21 years of age to enter. It's going to be a good time down there. Make sure you go down and say hello to the guys. It's going to be the first time you've had a chance to visit them since 2019. So make sure you go down and uh, have a good time and spend some time with Kay LaGreca and Rosenberg. Dodgers have added another run. Uh, doubles sandwiched by an out by Max Scherzer. And now the Mets are trailing 4 nothing in the top of the second as the Dodgers continue to bat. So I am very curious to see because the Giants are doing it too this week. And this is the new thing around the NFL. And I'll talk to Leger about this at the top of the hour, Leger Ducible when he joins us, SNY's own. I'm really curious more and more why teams are doing these co-training camps, right? Where you get to train and go against another team and then in most cases, play that same team in your next game. So I'm really curious how you prepare for that. I'm curious uh, what do you do as far as you you don't because you don't really game plan in preseason, right? That's not really what you do. You don't really sit down and say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna attack him this way and attack him like that. That's that's not what you really do. You don't really game plan to to the extent like you do in the regular season. Because you're not putting any exotic packages together defensively or offensively. What you do, though, and you saw the Giants do it last night, is you you have some fourth down plays you want to run or look at situations like that. Yeah, you might look at that. You might throw those out there. Short yardage on fourth down. You might throw a fourth and two, fourth and one, something like that. And, and the scenario is 
your like not your your out of field goal range, but it's punt it might be tricky. So you might try to see if you can get the first down and that and you'll try some not your exotic play, but you'll try something. Look, hey, full house backfield, let's see if we can get the let's Quarterbacks, not the quarterback sneak, but let's do something where full house backfield, we bring the another uh, extra lineman or tight end or whatever, and let's try to get this first down. So you might do something like that in preseason. So under that scenario, yeah, I could see where you would try that against a, a defense like the Jets are going to play against Green Bay. So I can see that you would do something like that, but it, it just it just intrigues me as to what you're working on and how do you what do you use as formations and plays and schemes when you're going to play that same team that you're practicing against the same week usually. So that's curious for me. Now what I would expect is, of course, you're going to have your time. You guys are going to do what you guys do on the field. They're going to do what they do on the field. And then maybe you come together for an 11-on-11, 11 11, right? Or you may come together 7-on-7 seven seven or something like that where you have co-practices. And, you know, it helps you with tempo and stuff like that. But uh, more and more teams are doing that because here's the reason. Both of you have something to lose. In the sense of if you're doing this as a co-practice and you're, it's not the same hitting that you have in a game, right? But you can still get your work done and you still get different looks and you still are able to, it's still somebody else that you're tackling. And there's still somebody else that you're, you're not beating on your team. You're beating on somebody else. And so you have to feel good about that. And so that's a difference. All right? Muncie, two-run home run, his 24th of the year. 6 nothing Dodgers as they bat top second. It's too late for that, my friend. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so I'm curious to see w what you do in those situations. And I, I want to see how this works out. Especially, isn't it great? Isn't it great if you're Zach Wilson that you have a chance to, and, he, and this is the, the best part about it, right? Young quarterback. If you're Zach Wilson, you have a chance to watch Aaron Rodgers prepare how Aaron Rodgers works out, how Aaron Rodgers runs his uh, his practices, what he does, preparation, stuff like that. Wouldn't that be wouldn't, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be great? Whoa. Carlos Carrasco throwing up and in on Justin Turner after the home run. By the way, he hit a home run early in the game, too. Carrasco uh, wanting them to back off the plate a little bit. Now, see, 
And this goes back to how you want guys to celebrate in baseball, right? You want guys flip the bat or do stuff like that. So that's what this is the response that you're getting. How does that how is that going to work? <laughs> I want you to show emotion. I want you to do this. I, I want, we understand it, okay? Turner's hit the home run. Muncie just hit a home run. As a matter of fact, there's been three home runs hit, and Turner's first pitch up and in. And you know Scherzer's going to retaliate. You know he is at some point in time in this game. Dino's in Manhattan. Hey, Dino, you're next on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, how you doing? How's your night going so far? Great, Dino. What's up, my friend? Uh, not much. I think that um, I want to talk about the football, and, like, this is one of those key moments. Like, I feel like this is crucial because, like, when you're practicing in pads against your own team, you know, there's certain things you can't do because your whole team is kind of in on it, you know? So, like, you get another team that come in and you can try these, not these new, like you said, exotic plays, but little things, you know, to see, like, how other teams would react to what you're doing. And I feel like that's important to some extent. Mm-hmm. I agree you with know? you. And for the rookies, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. Definitely. Definitely, Dino. How did, how did um, Zach Wilson look to you last night? Um, I'll be honest with you. I didn't see him last night. Okay. But it's – I mean, I'm not a Jets fan. Okay. But, again, it's like the more he can get in – and the more he can see these teams and see, like, because he's going to get thrown into the fire, you know? But at, mm-hmm. at least if you can warm him up, he'll be more prepared. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say. No, like, I got you. I got he's you. getting thrown out there. Yeah, there's no question. And and guess what, Dino? With no backup, he's out there with no <laughs> rope with no net. <laughs> yeah, he's not. He, he can't get hurt either, you know? No. In, but like, I do he think- has to do the right things. Yeah, there's no question about it, Dino. Thanks for the phone call. But I do think that they will have a, a – they don't really have a backup quarterback now, but I do think they'll have one by the time uh, the season rolls around. I think they're waiting for somebody off the – off the you know, somebody that gets cut or something like that. I think that's what they're, they're – they're waiting to bring somebody in. It'll be somebody else. Can you – but you look at – you look at Chicago, right? I mean, they got the red rifle over there. They got Justin Fields. I mean, they got three quarterbacks over there. I mean, it's crazy. And you know that Fields is probably not going to start because, listen, Matt Nagy needs to win some games this year. (laughs) He is. He's on the outside looking in. They really need him to come to grips with things so that he can get back to what he's, you know, they need, they need to improve. They definitely do. So, um, you know, look at that. They got an embarrassment of quarterback riches. They just could use one of those guys. <laughs> they could as a backup, but nevertheless, you know, that's, that's what those, you're exactly right. You know, that's why you have these, these joint practices because it helps both teams and it's in a controlled setting. So they still can't hit your quarterback. All right. But what it does is, and this is why teams go through usually the bye week 
and they go through where the offense scouts the defense and the defense scouts the offense, and they check on their tendencies. Because what happens is you might do something, you fall into a pattern where, okay, this has worked when we defended it on third down, let's do it again. Or, wow, when we did the end around, which, the, which Jason Garrett loves, all right, you saw the Giants do the end around a couple of times last night. Uh, we love to do the end around on this, on, on this situation. And so let's run it. And so you look during the bye week and you self-scout, you're like, wow, you know, we've done this a lot. We need to do something else. Or we need to call an audible or do something that looks like it, but it's not it. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, here's your keys. All right, the tackles, the tackle and the guard pulls. Okay, they're running the sweep. But then it's something else. <laughs> and you're like, oh, oh, I thought, wow, last time they did that, it was the sweep. Okay? So uh, that's that's why you make these adjustments, and that's why you do these things. And, of course, like I said, once again, you have that opportunity to have some folks pressure and give your defense a different look and your offense a different look so you can really gauge where you are. Just as when I spoke with Rich Samini, who covers the Jets for us and ESPN.com, I spoke to him during the week, and we were talking about how Carl Lawson was having such a great, great camp and how he has really pressured Mekhi Becton. And even I saw a couple of uh, conversations and reports from Mekhi Becton who talked about, hey, you know what, guess what? He's really helping me, and we're helping each other. And so you're looking, you're saying, man, is Carl Lawson having a great year because Kyle Becton needs some, some adjustments on his footwork? Or is Carl Lawson really good? <laughs> well, when you go up against somebody else, you, you get to answer that question, right? Tell you what, we'll step away. When we return, we'll continue our talk about the National Football League. We'll bring in SNY's Leger Doosable. He'll give us his thoughts on Zach Wilson and some of the other quarterbacks who had pretty good debuts in the National Football League for their first preseason game. We'll do that next. <laughs> The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Hour number three, Sunday night edition of the show. Thanks for stopping by at 1-800-919-3776. Scott Seinberg will take over at 9 o'clock here on 98.7 ESPN. On the baseball scoreboard, Dodgers holding on to that 6-0 lead over the Mets. Mets have a runner on first with one out in the bottom of the second. Yankees with a 5-3 win over the White Sox. But let's continue our conversation with uh, young quarterbacks in the National Football League. With that, with that, we turn to SMY's Leger Doosable, former NFL player, Jets, Bills, Niners, had a couple of Miami, had a couple of great, great teams and in a great career. He joins us next on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, Leger, what's up? Hey, Larry, how are you doing? I'm doing great, my friend. I'm doing great. I'm going to save Zach Wilson for last. But I want to get <laughs> your thoughts. Okay. I want to get your thoughts on some of the young quarterbacks of what we saw uh, this week. And give me your thoughts on Mac Jones up in up in New England. That was 13 of 19, had 87 yards, um, one sack, uh, averaged about four, a little over, a little under five yards per reception. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was proficient. He got the ball out. Um, a lot of dink and dunk, kind of what New England is used to, you know, from when Tom Brady was there, get the ball out of your hands really quick. Um, they want to be in, in second and third and manageable. So I think from that aspect, 
he did a really good job. He missed a, a few home run hits. Actually, he threw a, a really good one in the, on the fade route to the back of the end zone. Uh, young receiver dropped the ball, so that really would have upped his yardage per attempt. But uh, other than that, man, look cool, calm, and collective in the pocket. Got the ball out, got it to where it needs to go, and exactly what Mac Jones had did at the University of Alabama, right? He's not going to wow you with his athleticism at all, but he's going to put the ball where it needs to be, and that's exactly what New England needs going forward because we saw what they did this offseason, right? Mm-hmm. They, they brought in a whole bunch of playmakers, kind of like he had at Alabama, right? So all he had to do was get the ball into his playmakers' hands and get out the way, don't make any mistakes. So for what Pac Jones is, I think he's a perfect fit for New England, and I think he had a pretty good showing for his you know, first preseason game out there in New England. Can he take the job from Cam Newton at some point in time during the season, or do you think Cam will hold on to that job? And obviously, we don't know about injuries. Yeah, uh, injuries aside, is, is this going to really come down to Cam taking care of the football? And that's where he faltered last year. Too many turnovers. I believe his touchdown to, uh, interception ratio it favored more interceptions than touchdowns. And then he also had issues fumbling the ball. So in that offense, you can't turn the ball over, right? We want to dink and dunk the ball, matriculate the ball down the field. And Cam Newton has to know that, that you cannot turn that ball over in Josh McDaniels' offense. You have to dink and dunk, get the ball where it needs to be, and have great ball security. So it's ultimately going to come down to if Cam doesn't turn the ball over, I believe Mac Jones will sit this year. If he turns the ball over, I could see them going to Mac Jones earlier. Now, these two quarterbacks are not rookie quarterbacks, but it, it is a curious situation for me. I'm talking about the Steelers okay. and the Eagles game. You know, yep. uh, let's face it, Dwayne Haskins, uh, there was a lot. It was a tough situation for him in Washington. He did not help his situation in Washington. But LD, he played well when he came on against Philadelphia. I mean, 16 of 22, 161 yards, a touchdown. He looked like he had pretty good command of that offense. Yeah, and it wasn't just the last game. Going back to the Hall of Fame game, I think he's looked mm-hmm. better than Mason Rudolph at the quarterback position. And sometimes as a player, a lot of fans don't get this, but you're in a situation where the head coach doesn't want you. Again, he didn't help himself at all by his antics off the field and what he was doing and not showing a lot of leadership. But sometimes as a player, you just need a fresh start and, then, and a team that actually believes in you. And it seems like Dwayne Haskins has found that when he went to the Pittsburgh Steelers. It feels like Mike Tomlin believes in him. The offense, the offensive line, the skill position players there believe in him, and it showed on the field. Again, he's looked better than Mason Rudolph in the first two preseason games. Now, going down the stretch, will he be able to upseat him for the backup role? Who knows that? But I'm happy for the kid, right, because a lot of times kids don't get a second chance. He's able to get a second chance, and he's taking full advantage of it. What's going on in Philly? I kind of thought that Jalen Hurts was the guy there, but Joe Flacco, who backed Mm -hmm. up on the Jets last year, uh, had a nice game there, and you know I'm hearing some things that they're not really sure about Jalen Hurts. What's going on down there? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say that they're not sure about Jalen Hurts because, uh, I mean, they did bring a veteran in and Joe Flacco, but um, is it, was he going to be real competition to upseed you know, Jalen Hurts from the, the QB1 position? I mean, I think Jalen Hurts looked really well in the game versus Pittsburgh. He did have to miss – the missed over uh, to Quez Watkins, that would have been a big explosive. And uh, adversely, Joe Flacco was able to throw a screen pass to Quez uh, Watkins. So his numbers were kind of, you know, mm-hmm. they were full of gold, right? Because <laughs> 70, yes, yeah, exactly, very inflated. 76 or 80 yards of that was on one screen play. So um, if Jalen Hurts hits that home run throw, 
took the Quez Watkins and he missed him about by about two yards, which is hard to do because Quez Watkins is a flyer. Mm-hmm. Um, then you know Jalen Jalen Hurts numbers look astronomical for you know his first preseason game, and also he didn't play that much. So I mean we'll learn more the next two preseason games of, of what happens with Jalen Hurts. I ultimately believe he will start this season for them. Um, that doesn't mean that they ultimately won't trade for a quarterback. You know Jimmy Garoppolo could be you know, on the trading blog, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. So we don't know these things yet. But for right now, I think Jalen Jalen Hurts is the starting quarterback, the QB1 there. And if you hear some of the veterans on the team, Lane Johnson, um, also Kelsey, the center, they really believe in, in Jalen Hurts and his, his pedigree and his demeanor. He just wants to win. And I've heard he's actually questioned receivers every time he see, sees them in the in the hallway asking them about the plays. That's how locked in this kid is. I think they have to give him a chance to actually be the number one quarterback because last year he was in a competition and we all saw what happened. They never really just gave him the reins all the way until the end of the season. And then even then they kind of replaced him at the end of the year. So I think they really have to give this kid a chance this year. Let him be the QB one to see how the offense, you know, really flourishes or doesn't flourish under his tutelage. Leger Doosable is my guest from SNY. You're listening to the Larry Hardesty Show here on 98.7 ESPN. Uh, Leger, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I'm not going to say pedestrian numbers because, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> you know, six of nine, 71 yards, sacked twice, yeah. lost to 12 yards. But I'm hearing some people thought he underperformed. I mean, it's so – boy, when you're the number one pick, LD, you better <laughs> – yeah. they expect you to come out firing. <laughs> and it's crazy, right? I think – we tend to forget because of guys like Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, right, that had success as a rookie quarterback that every week rookie isn't created equal. And I need people to really sit down and listen to that. If you look at other quarterbacks that developed later, Josh Allen didn't have a really good rookie year, right? He turned it on years down the road. Patrick Mahomes didn't even play his whole rookie year. He came in the second year MVP, kind of like Lamar Jackson did. So everybody just relax. These are rookie quarterbacks, right? This is the first time they're in the NFL Every rookie isn't created equal. It depends on the system, the players around them, and coaching matters. Like, I don't think people really understand how much coaching matters. And you can't expect, you know, a a rookie quarterback. I don't care if he's number one, number two, number three pick. You can't just expect them to come in and just flourish right away. I think, you know, Andrew Luck and RG3, their rookie years, had great years too. And that kind of spoiled everybody after them. Everybody was like, well, this kid has to come in and, and, and blow everybody away right away. No, it's a development, right? This this is a process. You want a quarterback for the next 10 to 15 years, right? Well, this guy's not going to come in and just light it up right away. It's called a progression. So everybody just has to relax. It's like Trevor Lawrence, to me, he played fine, right? I think he did hold the ball a little bit too long. Um, his offensive line did pretty good. Besides that first sack on the third down, they did a decent job of – protecting him and he had a lot of time to hold the ball but in the NFL you're not going to have a clean pocket like that all the time mm-hmm. so he has to figure out how to, to get rid of the ball a lot sooner or he's going to be in trouble but his accuracy was there you saw that especially that pass to Marvin Jones I think that went for like 30 something yards man pinpoint pass seam route hit those are right over the defender's head Marvin Jones makes a great catch um, this kid has it and we didn't really get to see too much of his athletic ability on display I, I wonder how much they'll use of that in the run game, just keeping the defenses honest. But this kid potentially can be a superstar in this league. And, yeah, people say he had pedestrian numbers. He didn't play that much first and foremost. Let's just put that out there. But I thought he was efficient in getting the ball where he needed to go. He just held the ball a little bit too long for for, for my pleasure. I think 
he needs to do a better job of getting the ball out of his hands. Because in the NFL, you're going to have three seconds at most, maybe four, to get rid of the ball. You can't be back there patting it. Like I said, his offensive line did a better job as the game went on, but you're not going to be able to hold that ball that long in the NFL. Well, the reason why they said he had pedestrian numbers, LD, is because Justin Fields and Trey Lance had <laughs> really <laughs> were talking Hall yeah. of Fame. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to talk about this. I can't wait to talk about this. So we'll, we'll start from Chicago with Justin Fields. When he was out there against you know the top defense or even the, the top two defenses, he kind of struggled the first half. I think people tend to forget that he was sacked um, a couple times and fumbled the ball twice, if I'm not mistaken. Like people just like throw that out the window and, and look at his third, his third quarter, but you can't. Like it's a whole picture you have to see. And I can't believe the kid came out and said that he thought the game was kind of slow. Because to me, in my head, I'm like, where was that energy the first half? It didn't seem like it was that slow then because you weren't matriculating the ball down the field at all, sir. So um, I love the kid's confidence, right? Trust me, the game is going to get a lot faster when defenses actually scheme for you. Nobody schemes in the preseason, right? They didn't scheme against Justin Field in the preseason. Well, if he becomes the starting quarterback, Larry, they're going to scheme for him. Mm-hmm. right? They're going to try to take away some of those things he likes, likes to do with his legs as far as getting out of pocket and running it. And he ran for a touchdown and threw another touchdown. That was the perfect setup scheme for him. I mean, uh, Jesse James was wide open. But, I, I mean, like, I'm not saying anybody could have made that throw, but there was no defender within 15, 20 yards of him. So that was set up by the offense and a great scheme right there by the offensive coordinator. So, yeah, it might seem easy for you right now in the third quarter, Young Buck, but don't forget that you had some struggles in that second quarter. And then Trey Lance's numbers were inflated too, kind of like Joe Flacco. Um, another great setup scheme by, you know, Kyle Shanahan getting his receiver on a linebacker. And then, you know, he throws a great dig, you know, a, a, nice, a nice crossover route. Actually, it was kind of like a – I want to say it was a corner route that the receiver ran. And he got behind, you know, two defenders, and, and he was literally like five yards in front of those guys. So great still, great throw by Trey Lance. You know, a lot of guys would have missed that throw. But that was 80 yards right there on that play. So people tend to forget, I believe, he was sacked um, two, maybe three times that game too. And uh, could have had a couple interceptions as well that, uh, that you know, defenders dropped. So, you know, everybody just relaxed. Uh, they had good numbers, but they were kind of inflated. <laughs> he was sacked four times in that game. Okay, I, I knew I, that's why I yeah. said three. I, I wasn't sure. Maybe it was four. Okay, four for so, yeah. So like everybody yards. just relaxed. Like I think he threw for what one twenty eight or something like that. But eighty exactly. of that was on one play. So like, <laughs> let's let's calm down, everybody. Let's calm down. <laughs> Jordan Love, it's a guy that uh, you know. Ooh. Now the MRI is clean. Green Bay says he may not play next week anyway against the Jets, but. What did you see yeah. from him? And he had a lot of pressure on that guy because, I mean, <laughs> Aaron Rodgers is like, okay, I'm leaving, and that's going to be your guy. Let's see what he can do. <laughs> I actually thought he showed really well. Right? We haven't mm-hmm. seen this guy play since he left college. So it feels like it's been like three years since he's played, but it's only been two because last year everybody forgets there was no preseason game. So right. this kid didn't you know, line up against anybody else and play. But for his first game in literally two years, I thought he showed really well. Got the ball where it needed to go. Um, showed a little bit of athletic ability, and I think the bright the future is bright for this kid. I mean, it ultimately has to be right because they've kind of alienated Aaron Rodgers. Um, they've almost I don't think they finished working reworking that deal, but it seems like Aaron Rodgers will be a free agent after this year. And from all intents and purposes, it looks like he will move forward. So I mean, they banked on Jordan Love by training up to get him. So this kid has a pan out for him, and he had a good showing for his first preseason game. 
All right, Zach Wilson. Uh, I yep. saw some. I, he looked not too big for the moment. He looked comfortable, LD. He was poised. I thought he was excellent, especially on third down plays. Uh, what did you think from him? I mean, you said it right there, Larry. Cool, calm, and collective, right? He has a quiet confidence about himself. When you hear players in the locker room talk about it all the time, Corey Davis has talked about it, Elijah Moore just saying, look at this flag. Michael Carter is running back, mate. Look at his flag. He got the one, you know, arm sleeve on. He's got the he's got the, the skull cap coming out the back of the helmet. He's just, I don't want to say Joe Cool because I don't want to put him, you know, Joe Namath's category because mm-hmm. Joe, Joe Namath was, was exuded confidence, you know. Yeah. You know, uh, Zach Wilson kind of like is a laid-back confidence, but he knows what he can do on the football field. And you talked about it, right? The thing that impressed me the most, Larry, was his third-down efficiency. Like, that's where teams win games. Third down, red zone, and a turnover battle. And then the third down category, he excelled. I I believe he only had one uh, incompletion on third down. That was the first drive of the game to Corey Davis right by the red zone, I think around like the nine-yard line. Um, he threw he threw a quick dig to him, and a DB was on it. And also, there was a free dropper there. But besides that, converting on third and six, third and nine, and even on third and fourteen, getting thirteen yards to give the team a chance to go for it on fourth down, they ultimately got stopped on a run play. But just putting your team in position to make plays and to get points on the on the scoreboard is amazing. He was decisive with the ball, got it out where it needed to go, and in the Mike Lafleur offense, you have to be decisive with the ball getting it to the receivers that could become open. A couple good uh, out routes by Corey Davis. I think Corey Davis is going to be a good number one receiver for this guy. He's going to be a guy that he can lean on because Corey Davis is built like a running back, and I don't think a lot of people understand that. Like, when you when he catches the ball, it's hard for one DB just to bring this guy down. He runs angry. So, and Elijah Moore, we didn't even get to see. He's got a real rapport with him all through training camp. The connection has been there with Elijah Moore. Keelan Cole is another nice piece that it just happened, and people just keep forgetting Jamison Crowder was one of the top slot mm-hmm. receivers in all of football the last couple of years. So I really love what Zach Wilson did, and I really love what Mike LaFleur did, right? He came in, we're going to establish the run. We're not going to put this on this rookie. We ran, They ran the ball effectively, used play action and boot off of that, and then on third down or whenever he dropped back and passed, he got the ball out of his hand quick. So, I mean, I would say it's a, it's a great A for his first look out. Now he has to build on that and progress. And it's going to be a good worker week this week as they go up to Green Bay to, to scrimmage those guys during the week and then play them ultimately in the preseason game, a, a team that's been to the NFC Championship twice. I'm really interested to see how this offensive line plays right against that defensive line from the Green Bay Packers. Last thing, LD, um, talking about the scrimmage, and I was talking with the audience about that. When you scrimmage another team during the week and then play them that week, how do you approach that? Do you you're not going to use the same plays that you're going to play against them on Saturday, right? What what is that? What is that situation like? Well, no, Larry, you, you kind of do use the same plays because when you're when you're scrimmaging somebody, scrimmaging somebody during preseason, you're not really scripting against them, right? You're really trying to evaluate the talent on your team. So it's not about the other team; it's about you, and you're reacting to what's happening in front of you. So um, it's literally like you having three games, right, because you have two practices against them and then you play in a game. So this is good content for the coaches to really evaluate players. And you see a lot of times when teams scrimmage each other, a lot of times the, the main guys won't even play in that game because they have two days of full work against these guys. So it will be interesting to, interesting to see how Robert Salah views this. Will he, you know, put the starters out there for only two, you know, series again like he did this week or will he keep them in longer? Um 
just to get that continuity and, and having a rookie quarterback, but then also realizing he's had so much good work against these guys. Maybe we save a few guys and we don't have to worry about banging nobody up in the game. I mean, there's so many rules and regulations to how coaches view these things. I know Sean McVay, they do cross practices, but he refuses to play any of his guys during the preseason. So it's hit or miss, but this is a great time to really evaluate your team. When you're playing a, a top caliber team, you know, Green Bay is one of the teams in the NFC that is synonymous with winning and going to the playoffs and, and championships. So this is, I think this is a great job by Joe D, Robert Sala, and, and, and getting this done. And, you know, the LaFleur connection is there, so I'm sure that had something to do with it. Getting this cross-practice done with a, a Green Bay team that has been to the NFC Championship twice, that is synonymous with winning and knows how to do it the right way. This is how you kind of measure yourself, you know, in the middle of training camp to see where your guys are at. The Battle of the LaFleurs. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Facts. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Leger Doosable from SNY. Thanks a bunch, my friend. We'll talk soon. Of course. Thank you, Larry. All right. LD, Leger Doosable. This is 98.7 ESPN.